conversation you're about to watch is between myself and Dr. Madhavasetti. It's a bit of a recap of an event he attended called the World Vaccine Congress, which is a major vaccine event put on by Big Pharma. Now, he went there sort of uh, undercover, if you will, um, just kind of like there to have conversation with people who disagree with him. However, he didn't you know, necessarily come across and say, hey, look, I'm, I'm in the vaccine cautionary space. Um, he more so came across and said, hey, you know what, I I'm talking to you as a physician that, you know, whose patients have questions, so to speak, right? So this gave him an opportunity to sort of get on the same page with uh, with industry leaders and industry people in the event so that he could kind of hear what they had to say about some tough questions that uh, that he did pose. So stay tuned. There are a number of important key takeaways here. I know this conversation is a little longer than what we normally put out. However, I think um, what we do talk about here and some of the stuff that we land on is, is, is crucial for our current time. So enjoy the conversation. So Madhava, I know you are currently attending the World Vaccine Congress in Washington, D.C., and uh, some of our offline chit-chats were revealing, you know, some interesting things about the folks that are showing up there and, and some of the perspectives on, uh, you know, the COVID vaccines from inside the industry. And I thought it would be an interesting uh, opportunity to sort of debrief what it's been like for you to be on the inside of this sort of you know, big pharma vaccine event um, and see what the perspectives are like. Um, can you first kind of lay out a little bit more like what is this event or, or, or Congress uh, actually about? Well, it's a very large event. It's happening, as you said, in Washington, D.C. Uh, at a very large convention center. And um, it, the organization is called uh, the World uh, Vaccine Congress. And it is being attended primarily by the industry, by the vaccine industry. And there are a number of uh, people in academics and uh, public policy who are in attendance. And <clears throat> I, I believe, you know, it's, it's actually interesting to find out, that's actually why I'm here, is to figure out where, like, why they're getting together, what they're trying to do, and um, to get an insight as to what they're thinking. And it's been very eye-opening. Right. Uh, you know, first of all, it's, it's really good to be um, in the middle of all of these people who disagree with me. Um, and that's something that we really ought to try to do more often to figure right. out how do you engage with people who are uh, completely see things differently. Um, so that's what it is. And to answer your question, I'm not exactly sure what this is about, but yeah. it is well-funded. This, uh, <laughs> this conference center, you know, probably costs several hundred thousand dollars a day to, to rent out. The exhibitions, um, the exhibits, I'm sorry, not the, exhibit, the exhibits are uh, really, really sophisticated uh, from the vaccine industry. And, the, the, you know, it's not just about Pfizer and Moderna. There are all of these um, little industries that are uh, profiting and selling products to people who do vaccine trials. Everything from, you know, how do we recruit patients, like organizations that recruit patients for trials, to people who make devices like needless uh, administration devices for vaccines, and um, you know, uh, and all of all of that stuff in between, um, but uh, primarily, it, I'm there for the discussions between the scientists yeah. and the vaccine manufacturers. Yeah. So this is you know people from all around the world that are very much invested and interested in the vaccine industry, um, you know, kind of meeting to discuss 
all things advancements and perhaps even, you know, what went right during COVID from their perspective. I'm assuming that's, you know, a big part of the discussion. Before we kind of get into some of the specifics of what you've heard and, and some of the questions you've asked and some of the conversations you've had, why don't you just kind of lay out at this moment in time, what your sort of perspective or position is um, with COVID vaccines? Because I'm sure that was, you know, probably the area in which you had the most questions. Well, you know, I think your audience knows where I stand on this. I don't believe there's enough uh, evidence out there to demonstrate safety or efficacy. And we've known that all along. And it's been a matter of how do you tell the public uh, to, to look a little harder. Um, and so I, I enter as a vac vaccine skeptic, which is completely different than um, most of the people there. Um, so my general impression, and you know, this may not be so popular amongst uh, our sphere, if you will, is I am overwhelmed by the evidence that these people think that they're doing the right thing. I mean, they really, really do believe that these products are safe and effective and are the best thing that we've ever done. And they believe that they have successfully um, ended the pandemic. That's what they believe. This is the, people, the people at the event, at the Congress, mm -hmm. you know, industry leaders, policymakers, these are people that they fully believe. That's what you're saying. That's what they believe. And, and, they, yeah. and they believe, and, and they're sort of dumbfounded by the anti-vax movement Mm -hmm. And one of their, as spelled out in our very first plenary meeting with, you know, all 3,100 3, people sitting together, uh, it was laid out that one of the biggest challenges they have right now is vaccine hesitancy. And right. what can we do differently? And, you know, and it made it very easy for me to take, you know, a position here. Like, how do I engage them around that issue? Um, and my personal, like when I speak up in these panel meetings or ask questions, I always am saying, look, if we're truly interested in getting rid of vaccine hesitancy, we need to bring the experts who disagree with us, us being, right. you know, they think that I'm with them, but you know, I want to know if you really, if you really want to diffuse the anti-vax vaccine cautionary uh, sphere, bring in their spokespeople. Why not yeah. talk to them and, you know, dismantle their position in front of the public. Um, so that's been my my in into this. Um, right. And it's been a very educational uh, couple of days to see how it's being received. Yeah. How like when you're when you're there, like just just to kind of give a sense, paint a picture, um, like how, how do you know that they fully believe that that they're doing the right thing? What what are they? Is it, is it what they're saying? Is it is it the emotion? Is it, you know, the sense that that comes across? Well, it, the tone was set in the very first meeting, and it was being chaired by uh, Greg Poland. And your audience may know who this person is. This is the, um, I believe, the chair of vaccine research at the Mayo Clinic. And he came into our, uh, you know, viewfinder uh, two years ago because he suffered tinnitus, yeah. like moderately severe tinnitus after getting the first uh, of the series of uh, COVID mRNA vaccines. And he was openly uh, announcing that this happened to him, and he brought together uh, a couple of scientists. I'm not sure if we covered this at, on the Pulse or um, on Collective Evolution, but you know, he he, he did a uh, a reasonable job to like ask the experts what they thought, yeah. and 
my my recollection, he you know admitted that this is a problem, and we don't know how big it is. So this is the person that chaired um, is chairing this uh, this entire Congress, um, this symposium. And to answer your question, right away, um, the comments from him were about how devastatingly dangerous people like Andrew uh, Wakefield are. Mm, um, yeah, like, and making comments like, you know, maybe we ought to start a rumor that um, that graphene oxide is in ivermectin. Maybe that would help us, mm. you know. And it was met with, uh, you know, applause and laughter by the audience. So I knew, you know, where where, where we were standing here with this um, with this conversation, who the audience and was. You, and you were afraid to get found out, I guess, eh? <laughs> well, I recognize you know, that guy. <laughs> Someone... you know, I don't think I'm a big enough person, uh, you know, to be recognized. And here's what's interesting is that those people never look at our side, right? So yeah. I, I would be shocked. Well, if let me let me let me push back on that for a second, because if if you know if Poland, uh, for example, made the graphene oxide joke and and all of them knew that, are you you know suggesting that they kind of just uh, everybody in the audience kind of is aware loosely of you know these conspiracy theories around graphene oxide? Like you're saying, they probably haven't taken the time to actually look deeply into some of these videos, articles, whatever it might be. Not that I think graphene oxide has the best evidence by any means, but but right. anything really in the cautionary sphere. Yeah, that's that's how they're qualifying our position. Uh, is that we are the people who believe that there are chips in every single uh, you know injectant, um, yeah. as opposed to the publicly available data paints a different picture. And right, right. the trial data dem themselves demonstrate that there was uh, malfeasance, and uh, we have conflicting evidence coming from different parts of the world. There's a huge, huge uncertainty here that's not being acknowledged. That's not what they know of us. They they of us, you know, they believe that the anti-vax position is completely unfounded and its basis are on these kinds of uh, extreme positions, which right. is interesting, right? Because, you know, this is where, you know, you and I have spoken offline about this is that that kind of position that, uh, you know, these extreme positions don't help us. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, you yeah. know, I don't know, but if you go with that first, that it's a demonstration of how that is great, great material for their side to say, oh, we're just, yeah. you know, we don't even know what we're talking about because we believe that uh, as soon as you get um, in, you're going to be stuck to the refrigerator because of you're, you're now magnetized. That's yeah. what they think the anti-vax position is all about. Yeah. I'm assuming these are the kinds of things they've been saying there and that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it comes up, you know, tongue in cheek, like that's what we're up against, folks. You know, why can't right. we get to them? That's who they believe. That's what they believe. Um, and so that's where they're, they're, that's, that's their impression of the vaccine cautionary sphere. Right. So, so, you know, they'll bring up, um, little bits here and there during their presentations, uh, you know, calling out the hesitancy being the largest issue, um, primarily because of a, a group of people out there that are spreading bogus information and in, in any way during the presentations or the, um, the, the panel discussions, the, you know, all these different things, have they sort of addressed any of the questions around some of the, the data, some of the, um, the, the adverse events, this kind of stuff. Does that come up in conversation at all? Well, um, it does. And there are a uh, subset of smaller group sessions that have to do with vaccine safety. And I'm trying to, 
you know, make my way around and try to go to all these different things to see what they have to say about vaccine safety. Um, but I'm most, most interested, honestly, in their approach to extinguishing um, vaccine hesitancy. Like, yeah. what do they think the best way is? And um, what I have come forward with in these meetings, you know, when, when uh, questions are taken from the audience, is that I say, you know, my perspective on this is like, look, um, those people who are on the fence about this, that we, we have gotten to vaccinate by giving them Krispy Kreme donuts and taking away their privileges to travel, they're all vaccinated now. You know, they, the, the ones where it worked have complied. And if yeah. you're truly interested in getting to the other group of people who continue to uh, resist this, we have to use a different uh, approach. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to speak from their position so that they can engage yeah. with me. And what I say to them is, look, it, you know, it's not working. So I think what we should do is bring on the expert physician with peer-reviewed published data who is vaccine cautionary because this is the spokesperson for that movement. That small group of people, that small group of people that they think doesn't want to get vaccinated, they believe uh, people like, you know, uh, Pierre Corey or Meryl Nass or, um, you know, these other people, Paul Merrick, uh, the people that, you know, our sphere knows all about and bring them onto your show, like, you know, NBC, by the way, you know, and spokespeople from NBC, the Washington Post, and uh, Scientific American, these journalists were also there uh, answering questions. Yeah. Bring them on your show and then dismantle their argument. Isn't that the best way, honestly, to, to really drive it home that, you know, the anti-vax position is unfounded? And um, here's what's interesting, is that uh, every time that I, I, I'm pretty much asking the same question in different groups to see how people <laughs> are responding to it. And um, every single time, the person sitting next to me or behind me will say, you know, that's a really good question. You know, why, why don't we do that? I don't understand why we're not doing that. And I, I've been approached by people outside the meeting who come up to me. Like, these are vaccine manufacturing people who say, yeah, that's, you know, that's a really good point you're making. And um, yeah, I, I don't know why we're not doing that. And I say, I know. And each time uh, the panels that I've addressed this to, there is a specific person there who uh, is from Australia who just flatly says that would be a mistake because yeah. once you once you uh, grant them equal footing with us it's a very dangerous thing because that's how the public will will be misled when they think that uh, you know the anti-vax position or whatever you know vaccine cautionary position is valid so it's a mistake right. and, and this you know, I never get the chance to ask the I'm sorry but to ask the follow-up question which is well how's it working for you right yes you exactly. know, not, if you want to get this extra this extra group, well, this is the way to do it. Everything else has yeah. failed, right? Let's try it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because I mean this is um this is akin to the way the mainstream media will often talk about, you know, dissenting voices that are that are in the cautionary space. Um, you know, they'll always introduce them as a, you know, some form of pejorative along with their um, their credentials, right? So they'll always try and like downgrade their credentials so as to not suggest that, that this is an expert opinion. And, um, and that's kind of the same thing I think we're hearing. I, actually, I just got a notification from my phone, a breaking news. Um, the police in DC are looking for a, a potential mole at the vaccine Congress. I think you should, you should watch out. <laughs> they, they, you know, I think they found you out. 
I I wouldn't be surprised if the pull, no I don't I don't want to go that far. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, you know, getting getting back to the goods here, I yeah. I think that's that's often what they're what they're trying to do is is you know not allow. So it makes sense. What I'm saying is her position, her response makes sense to even what happens uh, you know on the mainstream side of things. Um, so you, you've asked that question, um, you get the same response each time. Have there been any other questions you've brought forth or are you just kind of focusing on that one? I'm focusing on this one because, you know, my intent here is to really find out what they think and to give our side a chance. Right. And what I found out is absolutely astonishing um, because no one there, first of all, I don't know how many like, like practicing uh, physicians are in attendance. The vast majority of people uh, work for pharma or uh, biotech, or yeah. they work for academia. Um, right. And you know, people coming in, you know, from from you know community clinics, they're not there. So what we're finding here is that it's an echo chamber, right? And yeah. uh, you and I have been talking about this a lot. You talk about it a lot. Like we're in an echo chamber. We need to remember that we're just hearing voices that agree with us yeah. and keep pushing us to more extreme positions. That may or may not be true, but the certainty is what uh, is a detractor from clarity. And they're in the same position. They actually, like for example, uh, today, I spoke with, uh, I posed the same question in, in, a, in a panel, and one of the uh, panelists was an epidemiologist from Johns Hopkins, who was very interested in my question because then she engaged me uh, after the panel session to say, you know, uh, that was a really good question you asked. And, um, you know, I, I think it's important to, you know, educate our primary care providers. And then I started, you know, trying to probe, like, how much she knew about the studies. And I yeah. said, so, you know, look, and, I, and I, I, I sort of phrase it like this. It's like, you know, my, um, the people in my community are coming to me and saying, uh, why should I get the vaccine? Because the trial shows that more people died if you got the vaccine from all causes than if you got the placebo. You know, that's in in layperson's terms of saying all-cause mortality is higher in the therapy group. There's never been a therapy that I know that gets approved or authorized where more people die if you get it. Like, forget about, like, COVID or non-COVID. More people died, period. You know, 15 to 14 or... You know, 21 to 17 depends on where in the trial you're looking, but more people died. And she looked at me like, and she said, what, is that a new study? What, what do you mean? And I said, no, this is the six-month Pfizer trial data published in the New England Journal. And she's like, oh, I, I, I didn't know that. Right. And then I asked her, um, and then they say, look, uh, you know, the, the vaccine has been shown to have negative efficacy in England like seriously negative efficacy if you wait long enough. There's no explanation for that. I can understand that it wanes, but you understand that you're more apt to get uh, COVID-19 if you've been vaccinated? And she she's never heard of that. She's never yeah. heard of the study uh, or the public data that's being um, put out there by the United Kingdom's um, Health Surveillance Agency. Now, and- just to- Clarifying question on that, though, um, she says she's never heard of it, but, you know, does she give the impression that she's heard the opposite, that these folks are, are generally doing better than all the unvaccinated? Like, yes. you know what I'm saying? Well, she she they're all willing to admit that the uh, the products do not prevent infection. 
or you know for yeah. very long they yeah. they understand that and of course they're moving towards well we know for a fact that it keeps you out of the hospital uh and keeps you alive um more than if you not completely but you know it, it there's a mortality benefit that that's their position um but here's what's really fascinating is um in what in the first meeting where i brought this question up i happened to be sitting next to the uh, director of the UK HSA, the United Kingdom Health Surveillance Agency. Yeah. And, uh, and I'm here I'm referring to probably what was the most stunning uh, piece of public data that became available in September of 2021, where they demonstrated that in some age groups, you're more apt to get sick if you've been vaccinated, like significantly yeah. more. And it wasn't just a, a blurb or uh, a blip in the data, subsequent data sets from that agency demonstrated a growing uh, uh, risk as months went by if you got the primary series compared to being unvaccinated. And I'm sitting next to her and I said, so like, what do you think about that, right? You know, and she just blew it off like, well, you know, I, I'm, I'm not aware of that. This is the director of the UK HSA. Right. And then I said, well, what about the ONS data? The ONS data is the Office of National Statistics. You know, you and I did a, uh, a, um, a video on that a few months ago where it demonstrates that, look, all-cause mortality changes after you've been vaccinated, like for the worse. Why is that? And her response was, well, the, the ONS people aren't, aren't uh, researchers. They don't, they're not, they don't know what they're doing. You know, we're, we have to like correct them when they do this stuff. Right. And, you know, and my point was, like, they're not supposed to interpret the data. They're just supposed to tell us what the numbers are, right? right. <laughs> and she blew that off. And then I asked her about Tess Laurie, who is a intrepid researcher, like highly credentialed uh, critic of the, uh, of, the, of the vaccines. She wrote an open letter to the MHA, which is the equivalent of the FDA in, in England, in the spring of 2021, saying we need to halt this until we know more. And she blew that blew Tess off too, and you know what her response was? She's like, "Well, a lot of these um, of these physicians and scientists are getting a lot of fame for uh, coming out with this position. For example, there there's a cardiologist in my country that uh, is really um, taking us to task and and in making a statement because he wants to gain fame." Mm -hmm. And I said, "Do you mean?" Uh, Asim Malhotra? And she said, yeah, oh, you know who that is? I'm like, yeah, you should know who that is. This is not, this is someone who had fame before COVID, yeah, right? I mean, that's exactly. who you'd go to. <laughs> for a world-renowned cardiologist. <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> so. So it's, it's I, interesting. It's, it's like, um, it's like mental gymnastics to avoid addressing um, the data and avoid addressing what's there. It's in no way that do they address the data at all. It's just sort of character attacks and brush offs. I don't think they they've seen all of the data, right? I, that's that's what it is. I, I mean, there's some brushing off because I'm asking them very direct questions, which they brush off because they don't have right. a response. Either they have to say that admit that they don't know or that they don't have a good response. And um, out of I, curiosity, what what what's like what's the body language like when you're asking these questions? Are they noticeably kind of nervous or do they feel pretty confident in in what they're saying? Like what's your sense of that? Uh, you know, I, I, I should have been paying more attention. 
um, I, um, I was paying more attention to being careful with how mm -hmm. I brought these things up just to be able to engage them. Yeah. Um, the epidemiologist from Johns Hopkins, I think, was visibly stunned when I offered, like, this is trial data. This is yeah. something you should know. And I even asked, but the, the, the chief of UK HSA was extremely, totally cool. You just moved on. I, I feel like she's a professional um, yeah. when it comes to this stuff, very confident in her position and maybe is used to this kind of um, cross-examination. Yeah. Hmm. So the sort of, I guess, um, the general sense of what this is, this is what it sounds like, um, that a lot of people in attendance that at least you spoke to that you heard speak on panels um, probably get their information uh, from whatever mainstream source. They haven't really looked at the data in terms of the uh, cautionary space, the vaccine cautionary space. So how then are, are these people taking their positions? Do you like as industry professionals, do you think they are getting training? Hey, here's what you're supposed to say. Is it, is it, Hey, I just follow whatever the government policy says. Like wh where are they coming to their conclusions? Is it just general news watching? Uh, well, I think the vast majority of people in attendance don't need to look at the data. They, they just have to go there and do their job and, you know, build their products. Yeah. Um, the, the people who should know what the data shows, or at least know where the uncertainty in their position lies, don't know. They, they don't right. read anything. All, I, I actually think that, for example, this Johns Hopkins epidemiologist, she's not reading studies. She's just saying, well, we know they're safe and effective. Let's, let's, be, let's be clear. We all know that, right? Right. And I would suggest that she gets her information from CNN. Just like, you know, Rochelle Walensky admitted uh, when she first found out it was, I think she was asked, like, you know, how, where do you get your information from? And she said CNN or something like that. Maybe I'm right. wrong. I, I don't know. But I, I don't think that these people are actually going to look um, yeah. anywhere. And Yeah, the, the idea is, uh, you know, when I talk to, to friends and family about stuff like this, sometimes I, I often say I think you'd be surprised the amount of, you know, what you call professionals, politicians, so on and so forth, the amount of them that, that haven't actually looked at something you know, to the depths that, that you think they are, you, you know, you, you believe there's, there's this credential, there's this, that, whatever, but you know, the average journalist who decides to actually deep dive into this probably knows more about it than these people that are on the television set, you know, kind of telling you. And, and a lot of people can't really believe that, right. They have a hard time believing that, you know, this Johns Hopkins epidemiologist, for example, would not have looked and sat there and read all the studies. And yet these cautionary folks can list off, you know, 50, 60 studies that are worth reading. And, you know, those, those people are brushed off. So it, you know, it definitely is an interesting moment uh, mm -hmm. that we find ourselves in. Um, what's, are, how many more days are you still there for? Just another day. Another day. And, and it, what's the events of tomorrow? What, what can we expect uh, our, our mold to, uh, <laughs> to get here? Uh, I don't know. I, I don't think it's much more than what I've done. First of all, there's too many presentations happening simultaneously, so I can't attend yeah. at uh, everything. I'm only attending a tiny percentage of them. But, you know, my interest really is where this is going and, like, what we're up against. And yeah. we're up against uh, a, um, the, a juggernaut of, like, there's nobody driving the bus. You know, these people, it's sort of collective unconsciousness. Collective devolution, if you will. <laughs> uh, you know, they're, they, they, it's really like groupthink, and it's so prevalent 
that they can't even imagine that they're wrong. Mm -hmm. Like, like really, it's like, how could we be wrong? And um, it's, it's worthy of sort of contemplation because, you know, part of the reason that I think they're so certain is that they've got all this money. I mean, mm -hmm. this is like a, a huge event. How could we be wrong if the world is rewarding us with this kind of affluence? Um, we must be right. Yeah. And, you know, and I don't want this point to be lost here because this is a big takeaway is that, look, we have to understand that they think they're doing the right thing. You know, they mm -hmm. really, really do. I've always been critical of people who, you know, say any doctor that uh, injects kids with this product is uh, akin to a Dr. Mengele, uh, yeah. you know, Nazi Germany uh, physician who experimented no, they think they're doing the right thing because they're being told that's what what's going on. And just like the people yeah. here, they haven't looked at the studies. They they, they haven't actually looked. Um, yeah. so, so their intention is actually really, I mean, you know, of course they want to make a ton of money, but they don't think they're hurting anybody. They, they, right. They're actually sort of shocked that people aren't accepting uh, how amazing their products are because they think um, it's uh, it's clear. Yeah. And, you know, out of curiosity, you mentioned briefly um, that the Australian lady there, uh, for, I forget her name, or if you even offer her name, um, but she, Katie or something, Katie something. Katie um, Atkinson, I think, yeah. Kate, Katie Atkinson. So, you know, she said, essentially, we can't platform these people on the same level of us. That could be disastrous. But has there been any discussion or talk or uh, potentially signaling of support for censorship and for removing these types of voices from from public dialogue? Mm, no, no. That's about as close as they uh, as as they uh, as they came, which is yeah. her voicing it. And you know, I'm I'm very very um, curious about who she is. Um, she made, I, I think it was her, but somebody in this panel where she sat talked about uh, how dangerous the anti-vax position is because they, um, you know, in, in 2021, there was $4 million being donated to that movement and now it's up to 20. And yeah. that's a threat, right? It's like, I think you make that much in about a day, but, um, yeah. you know, um, but I, I looked at her page, I think she's, a professor from Western Australia, and she herself, she has at least $2 million in um, uh, grants designed around how to get rid of vaccine hesitancy. That's her, that's yeah. her thing. Yeah. So, you know. Doesn't so really have a financial interest in. Person. I'm sorry, Joe. Yeah. She just doesn't have a financial interest in necessarily being, uh, you know, balanced here. Mm -hmm, mm hmm. Yeah, I think there's something to her, uh, you know, far be it for me to to know exactly what her intentions are. But my guess is that she's got some skin in the game here. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, uh, interesting insights from inside, uh, you know, the vaccine, I guess it's the vaccine industry, really. And, and I mean, you know, to I'm not surprised that a lot of these people believe they're, they're really doing the good, the right thing, because, you know, I, I think there's a, it's a lot to change your mind about something. And it's a lot when you're, when your career, when your inventions, when you're, you know, all these sorts of things might be associated with it. And I know we're kind of talking about the COVID vaccine here more than other vaccines. And that's a whole other can of worms to open up. But 
Um, but it, it almost feels like, you know, it's an industry that's sort of under attack and, and, and it is, and I think for good reason, because there's been many good reasons to, um, to, to attack the industry. And I think in, instead of just being open to discussing it's, 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 a, it's, you know, closing in more. And the more I think it closes in, the more it reveals sort of its true colors and actually wakes more people up. So, you know, I guess my, my question is, and maybe this is a bit of a summarizing question from you is, um, from what you're hearing about some of their tactics on addressing vaccine hesitancy, do you think it'll be successful or just potentially get people to question things even more? The latter. Mm-hmm. That's what I keep saying. It's like you, you've converted everyone you can convert with the carrot and stick. The yeah. people you're after right now, they don't buy that anymore. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's interesting because, um, you know, one of the things that were, was brought up in the very first um, meeting uh, was uh, the fact that, well, we have a problem here because only 15% of people have taken the bivalent booster. And that means that we have to do better with our messaging. And, and the obvious question is like, why do you need better messaging? Right? I mean, they're not taking it because they know it's not working. Yeah. And that there's no threat. Right? I mean, like, if you actually made a product that was protective and safe, you wouldn't need messaging. Yeah, there would be, you know, huge uptake. I mean, like, like that simple possibility does not cross their mind. Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting because they're, you know, and again, you know, not trying to, to make this super us versus them, but I mean, it's naturally you know, the, the nature of the situation. But yeah. I believe, you know, their critiques to the anti-vax side would just be, you know, they refuse to look at the truth. They're caught up in an echo chamber. They're, you know, all their decisions are emotional and they're only following fake news. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But yet it's very easy to make the argument. Uh, you know, against them as well, except that would be, be lost, you know? Well, you know, that, that's exactly how I brought it up. The first time I brought it up, I was like, look, let's st- step away from the data and talk to someone who doesn't know how to dissect data. Like they don't know. They're, they're not going to believe. They just don't know. To them, we are mirror images of each other. Like our side believes the other side has been duped. They're listening to misinformation and because of it, they're a danger to us. Yeah. That's exactly what both sides look like. Exactly. Yeah. Right. You don't know what the data is, but that's how, that's, that's how they see it. The difference is one side is clamoring, just pleading for a debate. Can we just openly yeah. talk about it? And the other side is saying, oh, no, no, we can't do that. That's, that's too dangerous. Yeah. How do you think they're going to respond? Do you think they're really going to go with the, like, oh, we got to go with the person who closes the book on any discussion? I mean, yeah. like, isn't it obvious that that's the problem? If you want to get those people, you have to open up a discussion, right? I mean, that's yeah. the way in, I think. Absolutely. Um, and, and when there's no debate and all it is, is is forcing it down people's throats and then throwing out incentives, that doesn't help either, right? People are not, people are not dumb, you know, as much as that's, that's the sentiment from, from that right. crowd. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, we don't want to say anyone is dumb, but the, the, honestly, the people who are, have been holding out are the ones that I, I believe have really looked deeply at what's going on here and yeah. not just went along because it was convenient. Um, but I, I, I can't stress it this point uh, more is that I've heard from several people uh, with microphones in their hands who are standing up on podium saying, 
there's no point in discussing this with a screaming anti-vaxxer. Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. We need to stop screaming, honestly. You know, if you, yeah. you can do whatever you want to. I'm not telling people shut up. I'm just saying yeah. notice that it's not easy to engage someone who is screaming from a position of certainty yeah. that, that they're right and you're wrong. And yeah. regardless of what the data shows, why would they want to engage someone who uh, is screaming? And, yeah. you know, we have to have more voices that are like, okay, look, let's, can we have a conversation, please? Please, just, can we yeah. just talk about it? We yeah, understand that you think you're doing the right thing. We understand that. But let's just talk about the data. Can we just Absolutely. do that? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I think that's what's key about, you know, taking responsibility, right? If, if you're on the side that, that, or if you believe that you're seeing something that's worthy of questioning, you know, be responsible enough to say, I'm going to take responsibility for the way those people, to some extent, perceive me. If, if I can come in a respectful, engaged manner where I'm not, you know, calling people names and this, that, whatever, then I've really given them no reason to attack me. So then that's mm -hmm. on them, right? But, you know, when, when people are losing their minds and swearing at people and wanting to hang people in the streets, hey, I, I get it. There's, there's anger there and there's, you know, there's, there's rage there and, and perhaps rightfully so. But, um, but I don't think we're going to get very far by maintaining that, um, you know, as our right. approach. I mean, you know, look, here's the thing is that you don't have to forgive them, but just engage with them in a productive way. Yeah. Yeah, if you're exactly. really interested in in changing the, what's happening on our planet, it's it behooves us to have the presence of mind to engage with them respectfully. And I hope th that you know uh, our viewers out there will just simply like believe me that they think they're doing the right thing. They don't they yeah. don't think that they're out to harm us, and they're getting away with it. These people actually don't know what they're doing, you mm -hmm. know and. Someone a long time ago uh, said something. <laughs> I know, you know where this is going. <laughs> they know what they do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had he had long hair, I think, right? But I mean, what did he really look like? Well, I'll be, you know, hey, we don't even know. We don't know. But you know, those those are actually very timeless words, and uh, yeah. you know, we're being. We have to rise above them, you know, and, and rising above often means opening your heart more than they do. Yeah. And look, I, you know, I've got a lot in this, a lot invested and, you know, I, I'm willing to do it. You know, I'm willing to talk to them because I, I'm, I seriously believe that um, we're on the right side here. And it's just a matter of getting people to uh, engage with us. Yeah, that's it. That's all well said. Um, you know, thanks for doing what you're doing, going out there and. Um, be in the mole, risk getting caught. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but uh, but you know, it's, it, I think it's an important role to play, and it's it, you know, I, I'm curious to hear how how tomorrow goes, and um, yeah, we'll see. I guess how uh, how she goes as time goes on here. Yeah, I'll report back if I find anything new. Thanks cool. for having me on, Joe. Yeah, thanks for coming on. You're welcome.